All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. And Dan is not with us today. He's out of town. And so I'm going to, rather than finish off the book of Deuteronomy without him, we're just about at the end of that chapter, that uh, we're going to do an exploration because we have been recently doing shows on the Israelites in the Americas, B.C. and A.D., and you know, finding the skeletons of giants all over America and the mound builders who have created all kinds of earthworks, many of them resembling hinges from Europe that were clearly built by Joshua and the Israelites and even Enoch, as the book of Enoch clearly describes hinges and how to look for the rising sun, the equinoxes, uh, solstices, etc., using the hinges from a particular position. Stonehenge is obviously one of those structures. And these types of structures have been found in the Americas. All of this business has been covered up by the uniformitarians, that is, those who uh, scholarly uh, university cover-uppers, <laughs> obscurantists, who want to you know, just destroy the evidence of biblical giants, which are, in fact, all over the world. So we want to correct the record, and because uh, we have been finding now, thanks to the discovery of the, the lead tablet on Mount Ebal, that the Israelites had a written language way back around 1400 B.C., uh, which the scholars refer to as Proto-Hebrew. And it's obvious that the Enoch himself wrote these books. It's not a legend. He actually wrote those books. The Bible tells us that he wrote 365 books. And uh, that you know, most of these have been lost. And it's uh, from the book of Enoch, which had to predate the flood. And, uh, and we, of course, in identity teach the flood was not global. The deluge was global, but not the actual flood. The severity of the actual flood varied from place to place, but was most profound where Noah and his family lived. And so when he prepared the ark and the rains came, nobody would listen to him. So it was only Noah and the seven other members, excuse me, the seven other members of his family that got aboard the ark and the rest of them in that territory were swept away. So, the obvious intent of Yahweh was to protect Noah, the, the the remnant, the remnant of the white race, the Adamic species that was existed in that part of the world. Okay, and uh, the reports given by virtually every culture that has stories of giants, and these stories exist in virtually every culture, even in Africa, especially among in the Americas, the Native American tribes. Virtually all of them have legends of their ancestors fighting against red-haired, blonde-haired, blue-eyed giants that had a Nordic appearance. And since the record in uh, Genesis chapter 6 says that the fallen ones uh, made love or raped, better description, raped the Adamic women, that these that these offspring, the Nephilim, would be white in appearance. 
okay, because well, whatever appearance they had in heaven, which was probably very similar to the white race, because I believe where it says in Genesis chapter 1, where where the Elohim, not Yahweh, the Elohim, were the angels in heaven, and some of these angels fell and became the fallen angels, and that this is where the true legends come from. So that happened in Genesis 1 as well, and uh, but in Genesis 6, we're given more details about them leaving their first estate. So today's show is going to be about how in the in the world did these fallen angels get onto the planet? Okay, now that's an interesting question. Uh, Dr. Wesley Swift, he believes that the fallen angels came in a spaceship <laughs> and maybe uh, Scotty beamed them down or Lucifer beamed them down. And then, of course, obviously some of those angels had to remain in heaven. Not all of them fell. The scriptures tell us that one-third went with Lucifer and were cast down to the earth. Now, it occurred to me, since CERN is an obvious stargate, and many scientists there actually admit that it is a stargate, or it's an attempt to create a stargate, or a gateway to another dimension, I think we need to... Uh, suspect that po possibility that it was a stargate. And also, the history of our solar system is not, again, the uniformitarian version of our solar system. It's, just, it's always had this arrangement that we now know, you know, with Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, etc., that these, uh, uh, Saturn, that it's always been this way. However, there's a new school of thought that uh, suggests that possibly Saturn was a different star, and the, it had its own solar system, and that this solar system collided with Sol's, S-O-L, apostrophe S, Sol's solar system, and that uh, these two uh, merged together. In other words, Saturn was captured and possibly uh, Jupiter along with it, or Jupiter was part of the Sol's solar system, and then Saturn, with its planets and moons, moved in and was captured by Sol, the current uh, planetary arrangement we have now, but it actually took quite a while for the current arrangement to develop. And so the, the legends of Nibiru being a sister planet, or sister star, uh, which would be a binary system, and astronomers say that most stars they're aware of are in fact binary systems. So we want to see if uh, all this is correct. And uh, we see here that, my God, <laughs> yeah, beam me down, Scotty, <laughs> right? Uh, my God, uh, the, 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 the archaeological, and we're talking about astro-archaeology, is very, very important in this manner, and, and there's a whole new school of astro-archaeology that has been arguing that either Saturn or, uh, or Jupiter was a completely different star system, a completely different solar system that wandered in and got captured by Saul. 
And it, uh, it took a while, several thousand years, actually, for these two systems to settle down into the current arrangement that we have here. Now, it's interesting that both Saturn and Jupiter have a hexagonal storm at the very top of the North Pole. And this is a lot of the Saturnalia, right? A lot of the legends of the fallen ones, they worship Saturn. Is it possible that Saturn was once upon a time their home planet or their home base, a planet on that was part of the Saturnian solar system? Is that possible? Well, I'm beginning to think in those directions, uh, and I'm planning on doing shows about that topic. However, uh, for today, what I'm going to, to discuss is the untold truth of the fallen angels. Where did, uh, where did they come from? And I just gave you a suggestion of where I think this study is leading to, that they were actually beings that were part of the Saturnian star system, which is probably the last place that the the renegades, not they were not yet fallen. The renegade angels came from, and it's quite possible that as uh, Saturn, being uh, I'm assuming Saturn was the star, the star system that was captured by Saul, that uh, obviously whatever planet they were on, which may have been Mars or Marduk, which was a, a, an exploded planet that these beings realized that their planet was doomed, and so they had to find another planet. And the planet they found was Earth, Earth being the only planet. I mean, there's, let's put it this way, astronomers have been trying to find a planet that has similar conditions to planet Earth with all the water and the oxygen and nitrogen, et cetera, et cetera, that uh, they haven't found anything like it. So this is a special place. And uh, even here, the area, the, the temperature gradient, the water gradient, the chemical balances, the atmosphere is very, very unique and the gradients within which we can live is very narrow, right? When you talk about cosmic rays bombarding the planet, yeah, those cosmic rays, most of them just go right through the planet, but other types of rays are very deadly to you know, the bipeds living on the planet. So you know, a lot of that energy has to be filtered through the atmosphere, etc., etc. So the the gradient within which human life, you know, not cockroaches, cockroaches can exist just about anywhere, but human life, the, the, the conditions for human life have to be very stringent for this species, and especially we're talking about the Adamic species, uh, in addition to the other species, that uh, the conditions on this planet have to be very, very special for us to exist year after year after year. So it can't change too much. Otherwise, well, then we have a situation like Noah's Flood where, where the canopy or the greenhouse effect of clouds suddenly collapsed and all that greenhouse water turned into rain. Okay, that is pretty much the uh, consensus now of how the rain came about. And, of course, I'm not talking about the uniformitarians, uh, the academics. They don't want to believe any of this. 
But there's more and more the consensus is leaning toward the greenhouse effect and the collapse of that greenhouse uh, at the time of Noah's flood. So let's get, excuse me, let's get into it. And this article is from grunge.com. And I'm going to post this into the chat room. I'm going to beam it down. <laughs> I'm going to beam it down into the chat room. <laughs> or maybe the correct terminology is across. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, I have to uh, log in because I'm using a different computer. Okay, let's see if I can remember my password here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm trying to log in as we speak. Here we go. All right. Something's working this morning. All right, folks, very good. So grunge.com, the untold truth of the fallen angels. So where do they come from? And I'm leaning toward the uh, possibility that CERN is, in fact, one such stargate. And, of course, our enemies, the fallen ones, the ones uh, that are walking around in shoe leather, have built CERN and other uh, facilities to be stargates. That is the true intention. And they can talk about the Higgs boson and all these particles, none of which actually exist, because the only place they're found is in such facilities using tremendous amounts of energy to create a nanoparticle that only exists for a millisecond. And they don't exist in nature. So it's basically a gigantic experiment of creating particles that don't exist outside that, that facility. So anyway, let's get into it. First, a bit of a disclaimer. Religion is as complicated as the people who follow it. As, as I like to say, is Christian identity has as many variations as there are Israelites. Taking on even a small section of theology is a massive undertaking. Taking, and honestly, it's just a mess of different versions of all kinds of stories and beliefs. So that being said, let's talk about some of the bad boys of several religions, the fallen angels. And this is a pretty good survey of different uh, beliefs about the fallen angels. Everyone knows what angels are. Wings, halos, all kinds of bright light and grace. Fallen angels started out not so different at all. And there's a lesson to be learned there. The first and often the only fallen angel most people think of is the Christian version of Lucifer who took on God or rebelled against God, fell from heaven, and went on to run a nightclub and consult with the LA and corrupt the LAPD, not consult with. But he's definitely not the only one. And different religious traditions even have their own and very different pantheons of fallen angels. They're a fascinating glimpse into what were mere mortals fear most, what what mere mortals fear most, and looking at just who fallen angels are and what they do tells us just as much about ourselves as it does about them, at least to the extent that we f follow them and fall with them, right? Okay. Now, it's interesting they should bring up Los Angeles because I was just watching a video about Catalina Island off the southern coast of California, which has a tremendous uh, dig of giants. And of course, this is another archaeological mystery that mainstream media uh, has been ignoring. And of course, mainstream archaeology despises all of these sites to dig up giants, seven feet tall, even eight feet tall, they found on Catalina Island. 
And uh, there's actually a, let's call it a theme park <laughs> on Catalina Island where you can go and look at the museum and uh, look at some of the digs. Of course, the Smithsonian's have been trying to suppress these uh, skeletons of giants for decades, if not for an entire century. But nevertheless, these places are popping up everywhere, and uh, the History Channel is presenting more and more information about such digs and giants and even biblical history. So, uh, you know, we are uh, the, we're pushing aside the uniformitarians. Uh, they're, uh, they're spitting into the wind. It's over for them. So uh, the, the, the truth about the Bible, the biblical giants, and giants all over the world is coming out. There's nothing they can do about it. Their time is over. All right, they're just hanging on by a thread, and real science and real archaeology are coming to the fore. So let's continue. What makes a fallen angel uh, fallen? So here's where things get complicated. Fallen angels are basically angels that have given up on the good and righteous path and turned to evil. Everyone knows that, right? But in some religions, there's more to the story. According to Whitney Hapler, or Hopler, H-O-P-L-E-R, of George Mason, Mason's University Center for the Advancement of Well-Being. The Jewish and Christian traditions believe that the fallen angels were originally just as holy as any of the other angels. Okay, yeah, that's pretty much what the Bible says. But fell when the most beautiful of them all, Lucifer, decided to rebel and enticed others to go with him. The rebellion and their loss to Michael and his angelic army turned them evil. Well, they were evil before they lost to Michael, right? Because otherwise Michael would have no reason to do battle against them. And a lot of them, about a third of all angels, fell with Lucifer, okay? And I have, uh, you know, talked about the prophetic Maseroth in which the, the Adamic Zodiac, the Enoch Zodiac, in which the which was the original zodiac composed by Adam, Seth, and Enoch, depicts the uh, the one stellium or you know, a sign of the zodiac as a serpent co- covering one third of the sky. All right, so that one third of the sky represents the one third of the angels that rebelled against Lucifer. And the Adamic Zodiac is all about the life of Christ. It foretells the birth of Christ in in the first first, uh, stellium and uh, the second coming in the last one. So that's how the original Zodiac was arranged uh, coming from Enoch. And uh, so this is actually the original Zodiac upon which other distorting Zodiacs are based. So I may not have time to get into that during this show. We'll see. So let's continue. In Hindu traditions, it's a little different. They believe that the creator god Brahma actually made some angelic beings, good and some evil, from the very beginning. Why? Because it's meant to illustrate the natural order of things and balance in the universe, okay? And I think that's called the Demiurge theory, where you will always have evil fighting against good forever. However, the Bible says the evil will ultimately be defeated, and it's represented today by the at least the, the evil spirits in shoe leather, the Edomites, that the, the Bible clearly says that they will be 
fully exterminated, never to exist again. They will be as they had never been, as if they had never been. So this is what we're looking forward to most, okay, because the corrupting influence of deceit among our people is and the fact that we're so easily tempted to, into to over using drugs, alcohol, and other things that just take us far away from Yahweh's laws that and with only a remnant ever managing to to escape all of these frequent destructions that we've our planet has seen, okay? Now, interestingly, they say here, fallen angels don't exist in Islam, where traditions say that all angels are good, including the ones tasked with the overseeing of those who those whose evil souls who have landed them in hell. They're lording over hell, yes, but they're still doing divine work. Well, who are they? Who are they guarding? <laughs> right? Who are they? Are they? Uh, taking dominion over themselves, or has Yahweh cast them there to and put them in a place where they can't get out? The so-called shades of the book of I think it's of Isaiah, where these shades, these non non-physical beings, have been cast down, awaiting judgment at the judgment day. So there's probably all different kinds of beings down there trying to get out. They're trying to get out because they don't want to be judged. It reminds me of the episode where Yahshua was confronted by uh, Legion when he expelled Legion out of the possessed man and sent them into a herd of swine. And those swine committed suicide because they couldn't stand the presence of those beings in their bodies. Unfortunately, human beings tend to get... Uh, uh, Accustomed, let's call that accustomed to possession, right? We like it. It feels good until the, the, the demons make you do stuff that you would never think of doing in your lifetime. Anyway, they're lording over hell, yes, but they're still doing divine work. There's another explanation for Satan there, too, and it is basically says he's not an angel, he's a jinn. J I N N. A creature made from fire and free will. Okay, well, that uh, yeah, they're because that's where they live. <laughs> they still have free will until they're destroyed. Whit Whitney Hopler of George Mason University Center for the Advancement of Well-Being says those who believe in fallen angels typically believe them to be responsible for things like tempting mortals into sin. And they're tricky about it, too. Yeah, Jews are very tricky about it. Sometimes masquerading as good angels as they torment and tempt. Yeah, the Jews are masquerading as Israel while they destroy us. How do we know all this? A lot of our knowledge of fallen angels comes from the non-canonical book of Enoch, which was written about 350 B.C. and was found with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, it's got to be older than 350 B.C. Again, the the recent find at Mount Ebal by Scott Stripling proves that the Hebrew language existed 1406 B.C. and obviously much earlier for them to have inscribed that little lead tablet and put it there and leave it there at Mount Ebal. So it's, uh, let's put it this way: all of the secular speculations about the age of the Hebrew language is just that speculation. We know that the book, uh, books written by Moses had to be written well before 1406 B.C., before, before the Israelites invaded Canaan land. And it's quite possible, and because we had sophisticated priesthoods 
who had, uh, you know, tell us they had writing, and Enoch himself existed before the flood. So it's quite possible. Uh, we don't know if Adam and Eve had a written language, but certainly by the time of Enoch, because we are told in the book of Enoch that he had he had written 365 books, and only a few have survived. So I tend to believe the Bible and not secular speculation. Okay. So it's pretty heavy stuff. Two, the article says, according to the Biblical Archaeological Society Library, the texts claim to be the revelations of Enoch, who was taken up to heaven and told the universe's deep, deepest secrets, then shown just what would happen during mankind's ultimate judgment. Enoch shows up in other texts, and according to the Gnostic Society Library, there are a ton of stories about him. He lived to be 365 years old, eventually telling his tales to his son, Methuselah, who achieved an impressive 969 years on Earth. Strangely, even though the stories of Enoch were influenced by the mythology of places like Babylon, no, I don't think so. It was a, the, the books of Enoch were influenced by Yahweh. No, no other reason to believe that there was an outside influence. Because Babylon didn't even exist, right? Of course, that's the, they're assuming that the Book of Enoch was composed much later than it actually was. But this is how secular mythology uh, tries to deal with the Bible. And in turn, influenced Judaism. Well, that's true. Babylon, Babylonianism did influence Judaism. But Judaism is not the religion of the Bible. And then, in turn, influenced Christianity. The only place that all 100 chapters of the book survived was Ethiopia. Among those chapters was a fascinating explanation of fallen angels. Amen to that. So maybe uh, the most complete version of the book of Enoch was preserved in the Ethiopian language. And we know that a lot of Israelites migrated to Ethiopia. They migrated to back to Egypt in later days. And uh, to get away from all of the infighting of the 12 tribes of Israel, they migrated primarily to Alexandria, where they lived and had a Judahite colony for many hundreds of years, actually. Okay? So, and of course, none of this stuff is new to us, but uh, it's interesting to get a a non-biblical perspective here. Next heading, Lust Destroyed the Angels of the Book of Enoch. One of the most widely told tales of fallen angels says it was Lucifer who rebelled against God and brought a bunch of angels down with him. But the story in the book of Enoch is very, very different. According to the Gnostic Society Library, the book of Enoch tells the tale of angels who are destroyed by lust. The story also shows up in Genesis, but in less detail. Okay, well, I mean, the fall of Lucifer was more about power. It was uh, lust, I think, was secondary. Sexual lust was secondary because this tells a tale of their incarnation here on planet Earth. But the real tale of Lucifer was that he began to worship himself, okay? As many of us in in, uh, Earthdom are wont to do, we worship ourselves, okay? And uh, we worship our own opinions as, as opposed to Yahweh's laws. So this is really where we're at. It's a totally different story uh, from what there. It was that the fall to Earth was concerning the lust. This is very much after power. Uh, Lucifer wanted power. That's what he really wanted. So let's continue. 
Before the Great Flood, angels and humans met and mingled pretty commonly, uh, maybe, and the inevitable happened, children. <laughs> the, those children were the sons and daughters of 200 angels, and they were a race of 450-foot-tall giants. Well, I don't know if we've, if we've ever found uh, a skeleton that's 450 feet tall. You know, I think the tallest was well, at 23 feet. The bedstead of one of the uh, Anakim was 23 feet long, something like that. The angels started teaching their giant offspring evil ways. And God not only imprisoned them, but subjected them to judgment and sent the flood to hit the, re the reset button on his creations, at least in that territory. It's also worth noting that Le Illuminures, says Noah, is the great-grandson of Enoch, okay. Well, I mean, definitely Noah was one of his descendants. Uh, now, uh, not, I'm not sure if he's actually a descendant of Enoch. Uh, I have to look uh, to uh, Book of Genesis to see that. But in any case, Enoch's story says, tried to speak on behalf of the angels and their giant children, but sadly, a lot of the texts are missing. We do know that Enoch was the one God selected to act as an intermediary to the fall, fallen angels, instructing him to tell them what their punishment would be for their transgressions. They were to be condemned to the ends of the earth. <laughs> yeah, well, we find the giants all over the planet. And punishment was definitely going to be a big part of their version of eternity. Yeah, and, and the same goes for us if we don't obey Yahweh's laws. Okay, so very interesting. So I'm going to switch to another document here, uh, as, uh, as in the days of Noah, the story of Mount Hermon, where the Bible tells us that this is where the fallen ones emerged on planet Earth. Did they come via a stargate? Did they come via a spaceship, as Dr. Wesley Swift has argued? Did they simply materialize from the uh, etheric realms to the physical realm? Or, was the original scenario I talked about, are they fugitives from another planet of a captured solar system? And I think CERN is trying to recreate that Stargate. So, let me put the link of this article, because this article, I think, is very good pertaining to our subject of Mount Hermon. As in the days of Noah, it is entitled Mount Hermon, Gate of the Fallen Angels by J.R. Church on May 1st, 2011. Editors note this article from the January 2007 magazine represents J.R. at his best. In it, you will learn how the fallen angels infiltrated this world and how they be, uh, have been impersonating the Israelites. No, they didn't talk about that. And how they befriended the tribe of Dan. Ooh, interesting. And consorted with them. Why did Satan choose Mount Hermon as the site of their arrival? Well, they're at the 33rd degree parallel, <laughs> right? 
That's why masonry worships the 33rd degrees. What does the book of Enoch have to say about its history concerning the Nephilim of Genesis 6 and the great flood of Noah? And this is a note by Gary Stearman. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Hermon means forbidden place. Jerome, 4th century translator of the Latin Vulgate Bible, interpreted Hermon as anathema. Mount Hermon was the port of entry for a group of wicked angels who corrupted the human race in the days of Noah. Moses wrote, quote, The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, which means white-skinned, and they took them, the daughters of men means the daughters of Adam, not Ish or any other version of the word man, and they took them wives, or raped women, of all which they chose. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, and yet they're still with us, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them, same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. Okay, so it's telling us, well, the, these beings have been around for quite a long time, that, that is, the fallen ones, their offspring, the giants, or Nephilim, uh, they, they may have been around even before Genesis 6, uh, because the legends of these beings are all over the planet. We'll, we'll probably go into that here in this article. So we have discussed these Nephilim in previous issues, but in this article, I want to add some things that you may not have heard before. For example, there is a rabbinical remark about this story in an ancient Jewish commentary in which two rabbis had, or add, <laughs> the following insight. Okay. Quote, Rabbi Jose says, following a tradition that these Nephilim were Uzzah and Azazel, whom God deprived of their supernal sanctity. How, it may be asked, can they exist in this world? Rabbi Hia answers that they were a class of spirits referred to in the words, and birds which fly on the earth, Genesis 1.20. Now, are they in spaceships? as are depicted in many places in inscriptions all over the world? Or is this a reference to their etheric bodies, which uh, you know were able to fly around on the planet Earth, just as we perceive in the book of Job, the first three chapters of the book of Job, where Yahweh is actually having a conversation with Satan and, and asks him, what are you doing, Satan? Oh, I'm just wandering around the planet, seeing where I can cause trouble. <laughs> okay. This vehicle of transportation or means of transportation is not given to us. Let's continue. The answer is that they do, in fact, transform themselves into all kinds of shapes, shapeshifters. So Jews are beings who have lost the ability to actually change their shape, although many people have issued videos where they claim that they, you know, that their eyeballs, <laughs> their pupils of their eyes convert from round to reptilian, okay? Because when they came down from heaven, they became as concrete and as air and take human shape, okay? Well, concrete is going a little far, but of course, we're, we're quoting rabbis here. 
these are Uzzah and Azazel, who rebelled in heaven and were cast down by God and became corporeal in the earth and remained on it, not being able to divest themselves of their earthly form. And that's the speculation I had. They were able, Scotty was able to beam them down, but there was no reason to beam them back up because their planet was in the process of being destroyed. Subsequently, they went astray after women, and up to this day, they exist and teach men the arts of magic. It's called Judaism. They begat children whom they called Anakim. That word is in the Bible, folks, giants. While the Nephilim themselves were called the sons of God. Zohar, volume 1, page 186. Note that one rabbi alluded to a class of spirits described as birds in Genesis 1.20. Perhaps this was the origin of the story that the angels had bird-like wings, or this is simply an attempt to describe their ability to fly. Obviously, now, if they take physical flight, yeah, with some sort of wings. And, uh, of course, the Hindus have the stories of the, the Vimana aircraft, which predate to the Genesis story, or at least to predate the Noah story. To this day, white doves are symbolic of good, while black crows are typical of evil. It should also be noted that birds seem to have a reptilian connection. The phoenix was depicted as an eagle in the west, but in the east, it is a winged dragon. From ancient lore, Satan was thought to be somewhat of a gargoyle with bat-like wings. Why do so many cathedrals and buildings all over the world have gargoyles on them? Are these to protect them from gar or to attract them? We'll see. Okay. The Apocryphal Book of Enoch enlarges upon the story of the Nephilim. First, let me give you a little background on this mysterious book. Scholars have traced its origin back past the first century. Quote, in the early literature of the church, there was a whole chain of evidence to this effect. Nearly all of the church leaders knew of an apocryphal book called the Book of Enoch. Among the apostolic leaders, the Epistle of Barnabas refers to such a work. From that time on to about the 7th century, Christian literature produces ample proof of the constant use and high standing of this book. The early theologians Justin Martyr, Clemens of Alexandria, Origen, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Eusebius, Jerome, Hilary, Epiphanius, Augustine, and others refer to and use it. Following the example of Jude, whose citation is taken from Enoch 1.9, they all, with the possibility of the one dissenting voice of Tertullian, deny the canonicity of this book and properly regard it as apocryphal in the author's opinion. Now, what happened in, in actual history, and here I'm going to have to refer back to a book I quoted from yesterday, The Mystic Symbol, which is... A, a work of ar American archaeology referring to America BC and I'm going to go ahead and post this link also in the chat room because it tells the story of how the tradition of Israel was changed by Council of Nicaea so let me quote this one paragraph here 
And I did a whole show about this last night on Yahweh's Covenant People. And it's the story of a particular obsidian tablet inscribed with a lot of Christian imagery. Okay, It's called the Father and Son's Tablet. God the Father's face is never shown. To his right is is the son of the right hand, Jesus Christ, and to his left is the son of the left hand, Lucifer. Sometime during the first council of Nicaea in 325 AD to the council in 381 AD, the gospels were decided as to what and which would comprise the Holy Bible. At this time, the understanding of the two sons of God was well known. However, the holy men of the day, or maybe the unholy men of the day, because they were influenced by Constantinople, I'm sorry, Constantine, not the city named after him, who was not a believer. Even the uh, Orthodox Church agrees that Constantine did not convert to Christianity until he was on his deathbed. So I'm sure he influenced these two councils. And apparently the idea of fallen angels and the bloodline of Lucifer, <laughs> right, uh, was too fantastic for them to believe, so they adopted a different strategy or a different understanding, uh, which conforms to what we just read and in the days of Noah. So let's continue here with this quotation. So sometime during the first council of Nicaea in 325 AD to the council in 381 AD, the gospels were decided as to what and which would comprise the Holy Bible. At this time, the understanding of the two sons of God was well known. However, the holy men of the day decided that God could not have such an evil son as Lucifer. Well, he created free will, did he? Did he not? So the two sons of God was changed to one son, and the other would become the devil. So it was, it was also decreed that any church that kept the two-son doctrine would be subject to excommunication or even burned at the stake. For preaching false doctrine. The two sons of God were no longer preached. This information was first brought forward by David Allen Deal in the publication of Ancient American Magazine. This very doctrine of the two sons resurfacing in North America in the western woods of the state of Michigan was another support for the authenticity of the Michigan place. Yeah, because this doctrine was taught up until 381 A.D., and somehow was overruled by that council. This doctrine was buried, literally, and hidden when the Nicene Creed, literally and figuratively, when the Nicene Creed was accepted and enforced by the Roman Catholic Church by the year 381 A.D. Quote by Wayne May, <laughs> Isoarchaeology, or Ishtar Archaeology, there's got to be a misprint. Uh, it's, it's spelled idsarchaeology.com. And it gives a phone number, 877-494-0044. So this is a very good explanation of what happened at those two councils. And so let's return to the article as in the days of Noah and pick it up from where, you know, where did these early church fathers where, where and how did they change their minds? Okay, so let's continue. Let me see if I can get this. Yeah, the early theologians, Justin Martyr, Clemens of Alexander, blah, blah, blah. 
They all, with the possibly the one dissenting voice of Tertullian, deny the canonicity of this book. So apparently only Tertullian maintained that the book of Enoch was veracity and properly regarded as apocryphal. Well, even the book of Revelation succeeded in staying uh, uh, canonical by only one vote. So that one vote could have changed history, all right, changed our understanding of Scripture. And this is from George H. Shoddy, November 21, 1881, General Introduction to the Book of Enoch. The following is quoted from the book of Enoch, quote, And it came to pass, after the children of men had increased in those days, beautiful and comely daughters were born to them. And the angels, the sons of the heavens, saw and lusted after them, and said one to another, Behold, we will choose for ourselves wives or women from among the children of Adam, and will beget for ourselves children. So we can see the universalism of the Catholic Church had already begun to infect the translations. Quote, And they descended on Artis, which is the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn on it and bound themselves mutually by a curse. Enoch 6, verses 1 through 6. And because it's the 33rd degree parallel of the Northern Hemisphere, the Freemasons, and obviously the Jews themselves, being the descendants of these fallen ones, that's why they worship the 33rd degree. Of all places on this planet, and by the way, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where the the Jews created their first Southern uh, synagogue, the first southern synagogue, that's also the 33rd degree parallel, directly across the planet, across the Atlantic Ocean, from Mount Hermon. Let's continue. Of all places on this planet where angels could have descended, it was the, on the northern border of the Promised Land. Perhaps knowing something about God's future plans to give territory to Abraham's descendants, these angels plotted their strategy to introduce, quote, the seed of the serpent. Oh, now we're getting somewhere into the human race. Also, Mount Hermon lay in the territory where Ham and his family migrated after God's judgment at the Tower of Babel. According to Genesis 10.6, Ham had four sons, and the sons of Ham, Cush and Mitzrayim, and Phut, I'll pronounce it P-H, Phut, or probably it's just one of those uh, uh, expressed or breathed out H's, Phut and Canaan, Genesis 10.6. Canaan settled in the area of Mount Hermon and southward into the territory that was become Abraham's promised land. This is why the promised land was called Canaan in the days of Moses and Joshua. Mitzrayim continued to move southward into Egypt. Coincidentally, Mount Hermon has three peaks, and Ham's family encountered another set of three peaks that had been built before the flood, those being three great pyramids. <laughs> okay. Evidently, Mitzrayim was fascinated by the pyramids and developed a system of worship based on these ancient structures. Cush and Phut continued the family migration south, southward and westward, and settled in Ethiopia and parts of southern Africa. Well, did they actually go as far as South Africa? Who knows? 
To this day, Mount Hermon is still the place where evil continually rains down upon Israel. Yeah, because that's where the Jews uh, you know, came from. Their, their etheric forefathers and foremothers. It is the area of the Syrians and Hezbollah. The book of Enoch continues, quote, and, and they took unto themselves women, and each chose for himself one, and they began to go into them and mixed with them and taught them charms and conjurations and made them acquaint, acquainted with the cutting of the roots of the, in the woods, you know, which is bruised. And pharmacia, right? And they became pregnant and brought forth great giants whose stature was 3,000 L's. E-L-L-S. L's. These devoured all the acquisitions of mankind till men were unable to stain themselves. And the giants turned themselves against mankind in order to devour them. Enoch 7 verses 1 through 4. And of course, this legend is true all over planet Earth. Every, wherever these Zlias, these Giborim, settled, the local people who were normal size had to make war against them in order to avoid being eaten up, cannibalized by these giants. It seems that these fallen angels, the Nephilim, contaminated almost all life on Earth. We do not know how many people were contaminated, but we are told that at least Noah's family remained genetically pure. Oh, this is a good article. For that reason, God destroyed the world with a flood. Had it not been for Noah and his three sons, those fallen angels might have brought an end to all life on the planet. and They would have eaten us, literally. Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth developed helped save the animals and repopulate the earth, at least the, the domesticated animals. So with about 10 minutes left, this is, uh, I'm not going to finish this article today, so I'll, I'll save it for another time. So this will be the fallen angels part one. God judged the angels. Both Peter and Jude added further insight about these fallen angels. Peter said, quote, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and, not, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah and the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, Second Peter 2, 4, 4 and 5. Now, uh, Noah was not the eighth descendant. He was, I think, uh, the, the tenth Descendant. So what's being recorded here by Peter is the first son of the first son of the first son, which would be the, uh, the eldest son of the uh, uh, teachers of righteousness, uh, the order of Melchizedek. That's what's being referred to here. Because uh, when you count uh, Noah, his line, he was not the eighth, uh, because Enoch is not counted, because Enoch did not, uh, as I understand it, did not actually uh, become the, uh, the eldest son in the series, because his father outlived him. Okay, put it that way. Jude put it this way, quote, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, Jude 6. Both passages tell of severe punishment upon the Nephilim. Yet Moses said that, quote, the sons of God reappeared after the flood, Genesis 6. Now the sons of God is Elohim, 
Okay, they're not necessarily evil. But uh, the ones who left their first estate, those are the evil ones. How could this be? Well, the book of Enoch only mentioned 200 angels, and Satan was not among them. Bear in mind, Satan's forces were much larger than a mere 200. Perhaps the original group of Nephilim were scouts for a much larger force of demonic angels, who, under the leadership of Satan, came to earth after the flood. It seems to me that the Tower of Babel, meaning Gate of God, ooh, is that what it means? <laughs> or Gate to God, may have been built in an effort to contact these dark forces and forge a defense against the threat of another judgment. As noted in the Zohar, Rabbi Hia said, To this day they exist and teach men the arts of magic. Yeah, the Jews ought to know. As noted above, Genesis 6-4 adds, quote, And after that, meaning that more Nephilim returned to this area after the flood, or they survived the flood, and established what Joshua called the land of giants. Moses and Joshua conquered those giants of whom Og was king. Moses wrote that Og's bed was almost 15 feet long. Deuteronomy 3, verses 11 through 13. Og reigned in Mount Hermon, Joshua wrote, quote, And the coast of Og, king of Bashan, was, which was of the remnant of the giants that dwelleth at Ashtaroth and at Edri. Ashtaroth, is that a reference to Astarte, their goddess? And at Edrei, E-D-R-E-I, and reigned in Mount Hermon and in Salka, and in all Bashan, unto the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites, Maachathites, and half Gilead, the border of Sion, king of Heshbon. Them did Moses, the servant of Yahweh, and the children of Israel smite. Yahshua 12, 4 through 6. The tribe of Dan moved to this area during the days of the judges and adopted the Canaanite worship of these angels. It was an ancient idolatry that opposed the worship of Yahweh. In fact, Baal and Ashtaroth were Canaanite deities whose origin was Mount Hermon. The book of Judges even calls Mount Hermon Baal Hermon, saying, namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and Sidonians and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon unto the entering in of Hamath, Judges 3, verse 3. So there's a whole, not a whole lot of teaching about Mount Hermon, but this author has gathered it together here along with other legends. Good stuff, folks, really good stuff. Furthermore, the fallen angels living on and around Mount Hermon adopted a biblical name for the mountain, uh, they had the audacity to plagiarize the name that God had given to Mount Moriah, Mount Zion. Oh, well, that's why the Jews call themselves Zion. Moses wrote, quote, And they possessed his, Zion's land, in the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites, which were on this side of Jordan toward the sun rising, from Aroer, which is by the bank of the river Arnon, even unto Mount Zion, which is Hermon. Deuteronomy 4, verses 47 and 48. Zion means lofty, with an S, whereas Zion 
with a Z, means stronghold. It is evident that Satan was pushing for a counterfeit of God's plan for man's redemption. Uh, yeah, think. Okay, very good. A counterfeit. That's what we're in identity we're dealing with. We're trying to alert the world to there's a counterfeit, a fallen angel counterfeit, namely the Talmud, which is being preached by the sons of Satan, the Jews. Okay? The devil was determined to replace the seed of the woman with the seed of the serpent. Praise Yahweh for truth. In a book entitled The Gods of the Lodge, author Reginald C. Hupp Jr. described what he found during his trip to Mount Hermon. Quote, In the excavations of Baalbek, renamed Heliopolis by the Greeks, temples were uncovered honoring Baal and Bacchus. Who's Bacchus? Saturn and the Saturnalia, folks. Bacchus and Saturn are the same. By the way, you might as well spell Saturn, S-A-T-Y-R-N. They replace it with a U. The same is true of the site at Sidon. The temple there is named the Temple of Baal of Sidon. But by far of greater importance was the Temple of Baal found in Mount Hermon. Perhaps it would be more meaningful to you if I, Reginald Haupt, quote direct from my source. In the 1982 edition of the Thompson Chain... Is that uh, H in there for real, or should it be Cain? Thompson Cain Reference Bible. Okay, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, fourth improved edition. The archaeological supplement was provided by G. Frederick Owen, D.D., E.D. Dr. Owen wrote on page 376 of his supplement of, in the, of the following. Quote, Mount Hermon, the chief of the mountains of Palestine, is five miles wide and 20 miles long. It's a triple peak, with the center peak being taller than the two on the, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's east and west or north and south. Oh, and it continues saying exactly that. Uh, It has three peaks, the tallest of which is 9,166 feet above the Mediterranean Sea. For centuries before Abraham's time, the mountain had been venerated in connection with Baal, the god of the Jews, right? Quote, Baal worship was the leading religion of Canaan. On most of the high peaks of the country were shrines known as high places. The higher, the holier, or unholier. Here, groves were planted and shrines erected for worship. Since Mount Hermon towered above all the other mountains in the region, it was the chief high place, the Shrine of Shrines. Canaanites looked to Mount Hermon much as the Muslim faced Mecca when they pray. Indeed. And by the way, that cube that the Muslims worship is one of the facets of the hexagon. Say they are, there's no doubt they also worship Lucifer, whether they realize it or not. Okay, Saturn, the god of Saturn, is what they actually worship. Okay, folks, this is very interesting stuff. 
we're going to have to do a part two of the <laughs> the tales of the fallen angels. This is very interesting stuff. Well, uh, you know, and uh, Dan will be back with me next week, and we'll we'll finish Deuteronomy. So I'll save part two for another occasion, and maybe just do a special show about it. And uh, we'll get back to this subject, which is very very interesting, uh, another time. So thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. We are entering on really interesting territory of the myths and legends of the fallen angels. So we'll talk about this at another time. Thanks for listening. See you all next time and uh, on Restoration Hour tonight as well. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody. Bye.